trying to figure out the best way to get divorced? Well, little hint, it's not through the courts and it's not litigation. There's a better way. Let's find out what that is right now. Welcome to the Divorce Resource Guy podcast with Jason Lavoie, aka the Divorce Resource Guy, a former divorce attorney turned divorce coach, talking about all things divorce, including the good, bad, and the ugly from an attorney's point of view. Remember, you're not alone. And now your host, Jason Lavoie. Welcome, welcome, welcome to this episode of the Divorce Resource Guy podcast. I am your host, Jason Lavoie, a.k.a. the Divorce Resource Guy. Today is episode 113 of the podcast. And while that's not a number, it's going to be a great episode because my guest today is Charmaine Panko. Now, she's a family lawyer with Panko Collaborative Law and Mediation based in Saskatchewan, Canada. That's right, Saskatchewan. So she has a passion for assisting families in reaching agreements outside of the adversarial court process, outside of litigation. She's committed to providing alternative dispute resolution services that prioritize collaboration, mutual respect, and long-term solutions. Collaborative law is something I've spoken about uh, a couple of different times here on the podcast, but I'd like to revisit it because if you're new to the podcast, you might have missed the other episodes. I encourage you to go back and check them out on collaborative divorce. It's a great process, and everybody should be aware that it is an option, or it can be an option, perhaps, for your divorce. So without further ado, let's talk with Charmaine about collaborative divorce. Charmaine, I'm so excited to have you on the show. How are you today? I am well. Super excited to be here as well. Thank you, Jason. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, for those listening, usually uh, I would say 90% of the time the guests I speak with are from the States here, um, but not today. Tell everybody where you're from. I am from Canada, Jason, and specifically Saskatoon, Saskatchewan. So um, one little, you know, tongue twister you could engage in later is seeing how quickly you can say Saskatoon, Saskatchewan back and forth. Um, and how fast. often? Yeah, exactly. So we're located kind of similar to your North Dakota. So just north of North Dakota. Yeah, no, I, I looked you up on Google Maps and I say, like, oh, yeah, Sa- Saskatoon go. looks like a nice little uh, bustling it's city. Wonderful. You really should come and visit sometime. We are known, first of all, our province is known as the land of living skies. We have extraordinary sunsets and sunrises and the northern lights dance. And we also in Saskatoon are known as the city of bridges. We have a number of bridges and they're all architecturally unique and it's a wonderful place to visit, but best to visit in the spring or summer, not so much in the winter. Right. Yeah. I I definitely would probably go for the spring or summer myself. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) But I would love to do that one day. Absolutely. It looks beautiful. Um, So Charmaine, tell everybody who's not familiar with you kind of, you know, a little bit about yourself, um, more importantly, that kind of path you took to get to where you are today. Yeah, so I am a collaboratively trained lawyer and mediator. I also do investigations and arbitration work and settlement advocacy, but really my passion lies in providing collaborative law services to families who are going through separation and divorce. And the path that I took to get here wasn't necessarily a straight line. Um, I grew up in a small town as a little girl. I always envisioned one day that I would 
would grow up and be a barrel racer. Um, my dad was a rodeo announcer. I was barrel a rodeo racer. queen. Yeah. So not sure if you're familiar with the whole sport of rodeo, but um, it's, you know, getting on that horse and racing around three barrels in a cloverly fashion as fast as you can. And that was really what my growing up experience was like. So when I moved um, on and I became an adult and I started to go to university, I shifted gears. And at that point, I wanted to be a performer. So I still wasn't on that legal uh, trajectory yet. But I met my now current husband and he was a stand-up comedian that was his profession and still is really and yeah and we ended up finding ourselves in a bit of a little lawsuit around some intellectual property and I remember the day that we got the letter from our lawyer and it was a bill and I thought gee it would be really nice to you know be our own lawyer and uh, at that point we had I had lived in New York City and out in Toronto and we had settled back in Saskatchewan which isn't really an entertainment hot spot so I was thinking about you know what was I going to do when I would grow up and so that was when I decided to go back to school and I started to pursue education in law Now, one of the things that's unique about me as part of my journey is that um, I, I have 11 children so when oh I decided God. to yeah <laughs> six boys, five girls. When I decided to go back to school, I already had a few of those children. So I decided I would go on a part-time basis. And um, it kind of became a, a bit of my um, story when it came to my passion for working with families, I think, is that I initially started to work with a corporate commercial firm, one of the only national firms in Saskatchewan. But, you know, with all corporate commercial clients, they tend to also have families that sometimes are transition into different configurations. And because I had an interest in helping people resolve things out Side of an adversarial system, I found that a lot of that family kind of side work was starting to come to me. And because we have a large family and so many things that are part of those dynamics where every day you're trying to figure out how to sort out conflicts and right. get people, you know, on the same page, that it was a very natural fit. Over the course of time, I realized that the best place for me to do this kind of work would be under my own umbrella so that I could really promote um, the education component of helping families uh, go through separation and divorce in a way that would be transformational for them as they move forward as opposed to um, the devastating kind of atomic bomb blowout that people had become accustomed to. Right. Wow, Charmaine, you have quite the history. You do. I do. I have a few things. <laughs> Eleven children. I'm just my jaws on the floor. How do you? How do you manage? I have one nine-year-old girl, and I and I'm oh. I'm good. I'm. How do you do eleven? <laughs> Well, I have to say 11 is easier than one because when you have one child, you're everything for that child. So, you know, you, you're doing very well, Jason, on that. With 11, <laughs> it's really an economy of scale. And, you know, I, I do lots of public education, you know, and presentations. And uh, I know all the questions people have that your listeners probably have. It's, it's like, well, are they all yours biologically? 
yes, they are. They all have the same father. We didn't have any multiples, so they were all single births. And we did figure out what was causing it. So, you know, we're we're good on that front, too. <laughs> I think I know what was causing it. But... <laughs> <laughs> but we have five grandchildren now as well and yeah, yeah so it's, um it keeps us busy yeah yeah no the, the family name will live on that's for sure <laughs> in some way <laughs> <laughs> um and and before we get into this but your husband anybody yeah. famous we might know anybody well i don't know um his first name is des he's dead and then he goes by a different last name his stage name is reed r-e so I mean he's Googleable, you can find him. And one of the other things that is actually part of my practice is connected to my husband. Ten years ago he was diagnosed with a dissociative identity disorder. So he has multiple personalities and um, as part of the dynamics of our family life and managing that um, and helping me really understand and appreciate both the impact of trauma on people as well as the difficulties in navigating ordinary life in spaces that are more complex. And so when we work with families in our collaborative uh, files where somebody is struggling, whether it's with addictions or mental health or large families or closely held values and beliefs that maybe kind of run up against um, something that's different in the mainstream, we know that the collaborative process is nimble enough to really anticipate and plan for some of those challenges and support people as they're carrying on through their journey. Yeah. Let, let's talk about collaborative divorce. Um, mm -hmm. I know that's one of your specialties. Um, I've, I've mentioned it quite a number of times on the podcast, but for people who might have missed those episodes and this is the first chance they're listening and then getting a glimpse of, a glimpse of it, tell everybody what what when we say the word collaborative divorce, mm -hmm. we're not just using that word as an adjective. That is a, a, right. a term. What does collaborative divorce mean? Mm -hmm. So you're right. I want to take a moment to address that because there are lots of lawyers that will say, well, I'm collaborative <laughs> and they do mean it in kind of a descriptive fashion. So when we're talking about a collaborative divorce or the collaborative process, I'll sometimes, you know, use the qualifiers saying capital C collaborative process. Right. So people understand that it's not just about, you know, trying to problem solved together in um, other fashions. Like, for example, here we regularly see lawyers meeting in what they call four-way meetings. Now, in a four-way meeting, you certainly can come to that meeting, you're trying to brainstorm, but there's no protection. So anything that a, a lawyer, a litigator might hear that they think, hmm, this is something that will help support my case when I am arguing in front of a third-party decision maker, that, that's where sometimes those four-way meetings aren't as productive as they probably could be. If people felt more like there was safety and being able to be vulnerable and really share uh, the, the truth of the situation and their hopes and their goals. So in the capital C collaborative process, we actually create a bubble for people. And it, that bubble it originates with a participation contract. Now, this is a document that the lawyers sign, the 
uh, clients sign, any other professionals that might join our team sign. And in that contract, it says we are committed to settlement. And if the settlement doesn't come to fruition for whatever reasons, because sometimes things break down, then the lawyers cannot continue to represent their clients. The clients are actually starting afresh, and that way they do not have to worry about whether there was something that was talked about in the confidentiality of the meetings that we have in the collaborative process that would then find its way in an affidavit or before a judge in an adversarial model. So that's a real foundational tenant of the capital C collaborative process. Right. And I believe, unless it's different, which I doubt it is in Canada than it is here, the lawyers who you hire for the the big C collaborative process, they have to be specifically trained in that model, correct? correct? That's correct. And our training is based on a paradigm shift. So the practice of law, and um, this originates, I believe, in the civil non-family realm, but family law got kind of shoved into that system. And I think of it as a round peg in a square hole. We really don't belong there. But in that model, it's all about rights. And it's all about what does the law dictate. But with families, families are so, um, they're unique, they're complex, they're ever evolving. And you can't very well say, here is the law and apply that to every single family, because every single family has different facts to take into consideration. And um, so in the collaborative law process, the lawyers are trained to not just consider what the law is, because that's the benchmark, it's important, it's a framework, but also to step back and step back and think about what are the underlying interests that are at play. So some of the things that we'll ask in open-ended fashion is what would be your priority? You know, what would, if you had a magic wand, what would your parenting look like if nothing else, you know, was at stake and you didn't have to worry about somebody else telling you something, what would you like to see in place for your children? What's important about your property distribution and maintaining certain assets, even keeping certain assets jointly. You know, it doesn't, there's just so much room for exploration of customizing an outcome. And the specialized training that collaboratively trained lawyers have taken is to be able to shift from just the right-based analysis of a file to an engaging, open-ended, genuine curiosity about what is important to their client. And then here is something that's also really unique and wonderful. It's not just my client that I care about. It's your client as well. Because as collaboratively trained lawyers, our goal is to help the entire family system in getting the best end result possible. And that means that as lawyers, we're not adversaries. We're there on the team. Our role is to help ensure that our client's interests are being taken into consideration, that our client understands the legal obligations and entitlements, but that they can see it through the lens of what is also important or of a concern to the other parent as well. Yeah, it really is a, it's a mental mind shift, um, I guess would be one of the best ways to describe it, that um, the lawyers, because again, they have to be specifically trained and certified to do this. They're going into it with that kind of a mindset that this is the way the process is going to work. 
Um, mm -hmm. We're going to do everything we can, everyone involved, to get it done in this framework rather than, you know, at the first sign of conflict, you know, cross your hands and run away and say, right. I'll see you in court. Right. Exactly. Exactly. So and, and, and sorry, Dave, I was just going to say, I mean, even to that point, because collaborative process is not, you know, it's not all roses and sunshines and butterflies and, you know, singing nice songs together, because if it was, they probably wouldn't need lawyers and um, wouldn't be maybe separating in the first place. So we right. talk about hard things and there are difficult emotions and there are times when people might be feeling tempted to be, well, fine, I'll just see you in court. But because of our contract, we're saying, no, we're going to resist that temptation. And instead, we're going to problem solve harder. We're going to try to understand better what's at the root of this difficulty. And if we need to bring in an outside person that has some expertise that can weigh in, we will want to do that far earlier. Um, and instead of having somebody else who knows nothing about the situation purport to come up with the answer that they're going to impose on that family. And that's a great thing you bring up regarding additional people who can kind of aid in getting things done and, and helping you come to some sort of finding the answers that everybody needs. So, for example, experts, right? If mm -hmm. How do you determine if you need an expert in the collaborative process? And then do you, know, you hire one expert for everybody or a joint expert, for example, or does each side, can they still retain their own? Mm -hmm. So a typical lawyer answer, it depends. Um, another fundamental tenant of collaborative practice is the client's right to self-determination. So it's very client-centered. So let's use the example of the family home. Let's say there's a difference of opinion about what the value should be of the family home. So we'll talk with the clients and all of the conversations happen together transparently, you know, in meetings. And we'll say, well, what are some different ways in which you could get this valuation. And I mean, parties know uh, we can hire an appraiser or we can get a realtor's fair market value opinion or we can do our own research. And let's say they decide that, yeah, we want to hire an appraiser. So then do you want to choose an appraiser that you both agree to? Do you want to get more than one opinion? What are the pros and cons to doing you know, one way versus the other way? And in cases where the parties decide that they're each going to hire their own, then we agree that when when they each get their own um, expert opinion, that that expert opinion will come back to the collaborative process to be talked about. Because if there's a difference in the opinion, we don't actually use that for a fight. We use that to determine a zone of potential agreement. It's a whole different way of thinking about the information that has come forward is that if there's a difference of $10,000, it's not debating whose appraiser was the correct person and got the best valuation it's like well what can we do with that ten thousand dollar difference where is there some movement to be able to reach an agreement right again rather uh, to contrast that with traditional litigation where both sides would get you know competing expert reports and opinions and then oftentimes either the judge has to make a decision a decision from that or oftentimes the court will then appoint a, a third neutral court appointed expert exactly. to just do it anyway <laughs> exactly and they could have really just bypassed all of that by agreeing to <laughs> third party um, within a collaborative process. And so property itself, I mean, that's 
uh, a conflict of data often that can be sort of easily resolved by saying, well, we're going to go get some objective criteria. We'll agree to an expert to do that. But if you take something like parenting, mm -hmm. which is often a little bit harder on an objective basis to determine what's in the best interest of the child. And a lot of what informs our decision making when it comes parenting, whether we're in a family that all lives under one roof or not, is about our family of origin and our closely held values and beliefs. And parents can have very different parenting philosophies that it's difficult to go out and get an expert to say, oh, this is the correct philosophy. So we like to engage child specialists to come onto our team. Um, usually there's just one that is working uh, in a neutral capacity, but as the voice of the child. So this isn't about whether mom's way was the right way or dad's way, but it was. it's about the child specialist being able to look at the child or the sibling group and their own unique uh, needs based on their age and stages development and help the parents customize a plan that will actually serve the child's best interest. Yeah, I love that approach because it's not black and white and it's everything right. in between, right? Um, so so most of the time yeah. people need a custom plan. Otherwise, yep. it's trying to fit that square peg into the, no, was it the round peg into the square hole? That's well, yes, either way, it's a mismatch. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so Charmaine, I want to touch on something um, that I'm, I'd love to get your opinion on. Uh, okay. regarding the collaborative process. It's something that me as a coach, um, and even as a when I practice, it, it's a big obstacle for people sometimes mm. because, you know, if I mention or I'll explain to somebody, oh, you know, you can get divorced using the collaborative uh, model that we're discussing now. Mm -hmm. But of course, everybody has to agree and consent to do that, right? You can't force somebody to do a, a collaborative divorce. That wouldn't work for a number of reasons. <laughs> but That's so true. <laughs> but, but how, do you have any suggestions or have you dealt with this personally in your practice um, where let's say your client, you talk about it and they think that's, this is a great idea. This is exactly what we need. But now they have to convince their spouse to get on board and, right. and want to do it too. How do you, how do you do that? Um, mm -hmm. you know, especially when, you know, the communication maybe isn't the best between them. I mean, after right. all, they are getting divorced, so we know they're not best friends, but how would you convince uh, somebody, you know, a spouse to convince their ex or soon to be ex that, yeah. no, we should do it this way. Yeah, well, this is such a good question, and it's a commonly raised question in training circles, too, because we have this expectation that the clients that come through our doors are going to be having some of these difficult conversations around how to move forward. So I, I would say, I mean, the same as everything. It's always going to depend on the context, but I want to offer a few different scenarios that I see this. Uh, situation and how it plays out differently depending on the scenarios. So to start off with, if there's anybody who's listening to this podcast who is like, I'd like to be a collaborative practitioner, whether they're a lawyer or a mental health professional or financial neutral, but they're worried about how are they going to get business because their reference point is that, you know, the people that come to see me, the other side would never engage, but encourage them to Think about who their ideal client is and how are you showing up in the marketing 
space. So our firm is called Panko Collaborative Law and Mediation. I can tell you, we're not getting a lot of calls from people who are like, oh, I want to, you know, really give it to my my right. ex there, right? Because it's just not in our name. And then part of our branding in the marketplace, I mean, we go out and we make presentations, we write articles, we are, you know, meeting with other professionals to be able to let people know that there, this is a legitimate way to work through your separation and divorce and actually try to normalize that. I have this vision, Jason, it's pretty, you know, it's like, I have a dream and I have this vision of one day when people are sitting around the coffee shop there and one dude's talking to his friend and he says, oh, my wife and I are separating. The dude says, hey, I've got a card for a great collaborative lawyer, right? Because we, we need to shift from the war of the roses um, as our default and, yes. and make that the exception. So something like collaborative practice and collaborative divorce is the norm. It's only the really extreme people that end up in that adversarial system. So I'd say right off the bat, I got to say, we it just, it's not that this doesn't happen, but it doesn't happen as often as one might think because we are identifying our ideal client and those are the people who are looking for this and not just the one spouse, but both spouses. They are knowing that they're moving forward into their separate and apart adult lives, but they want to do it with confidentiality. They want to do it in a team environment and they want to have the best outcome possible that they have ownership on. So that's one scenario. Now, the scenario where the client comes and maybe they haven't even told their spouse yet, or they don't know what their spouse is going to be open to, we have a few strategies that we use that are really effective. So what I'll do is I will send an email to the client who has come in to consult with me. And in my email, I simply say, it was nice talking with you. Uh, here's what we talked about. Feel free to forward this email to Johnny or whoever the spouse right. is. And the email is very neutral. It's just information-based. It can um, it would include a link to our local collaborative practice organization, to the International Academy of Collaborative Professionals, you know, and you know, anything that is going to has been nominated for Nobel Peace Prize. I mean, you're bringing some credibility into the information that you're sharing. So it's not, hey, this is an alternative to court, but this is, hey, look, this is the way the cool kids are doing this right this is the healthy right. way um, and setting out all of that information the client then in that scenario where there's enough of uh, communication that they can forward it or they can utilize a trusted third party often they'll have somebody in their social circles that you know is seen in a neutral fashion by both spouses that would be able to forward that information or sit down and talk to the other spouse. So finding who, what's all available within their system as resources to support that. Then in the third scenario, the one that people tend to get focused on, that they're like, oh, but what about these? I'm going to suggest that those pieces need to be left. And part of how we make that left is with the expectation that they're not that they are left, that you're going to have some of those, but those are going to be the outliers. And those outliers, I kind of ascribe to something that I think my parents taught me, and that is a person convinced against their will is of the same opinion still. So there's no point in selling somebody collaborative practice because they're not going to engage in it genuinely. Right. If we can provide them with the information, but then move 
forward in the negotiations with the mindset, the mindset that says, you know what, it's best to put your cards on the table. It's best to speak to your vulnerabilities and what your needs are and work in a space of collaboration, always thinking about what are the unmet needs that are driving the other person. And that other person might be the other lawyer too. It's maybe not just the spouse. Right. Um, to make the decisions and take the positions that they are taking. And we can do our own problem solving around trying to generate options. And though it's a unilateral a kind of interest-based approach, it means you're giving your client the things that drew them towards wanting to be part of the collaborative uh, movement in the first place. Oh, Charmaine, those are so all great strategies. Uh, and I'm so glad you were... Uh, kind enough and able to share them with everybody. So I I don't know if I told you this before we started, but time flies when you're having fun, doesn't it? It does. And, it does. <laughs> and but we're out of time for today. But I'm glad that we were able to cover all this because I definitely wanted to get that in. Tell everybody where they can learn more about you and your firm. Absolutely. So our tagline is Common Sense Lawyers. So you can find us online, www.commonsenselawyer.com. You can also follow me on TikTok. My handle's at Common Sense Lawyer. And those are spaces where we try to share as much information as we can about not just collaborative practice, but all things related to having healthy separation and divorce and transforming that experience for your own individual family, the uh, professionals that are working with you, and then to be able to share those stories for future people that are in similar situations. That's great. Thank you so much. And I will have all those, uh, all that information in the show notes too, in case you can't write it down right okay. now. So don't you worry. Charmaine, it was a pleasure talking with you and you. hopefully I'll get to visit uh, you guys up there soon. I look forward to it. That'd be wonderful. Thank you, Jason. All right, another episode in the books. I hope you enjoyed that. The point of this episode, I think, was just to remind everybody or uh, notify you if this is the first time you've heard about collaborative divorce, that that is an option, an option that both parties should really consider to minimize expenses and the time length in getting divorced. Um, you both have to be on the same page, but again, um, it's gonna cost you both more money and more time and emotional energy to litigate or go through the court system. So don't, uh, what's the expression, don't spite yourself or put your foot in your mouth um, to try to hurt the other side. Uh, keep your eye on the prize. You're getting divorced. Do it. Get it over with. Move on with your life. You both deserve to be happy. Now, if you're looking for help with your divorce, check me out, uh, jasonlavoy.com. I offer group coaching and one-on-one coaching packages to meet whatever your needs are. Uh, and if you like what you're hearing in the podcast, please leave a kind review on Apple Podcasts. It takes just a minute, and it would be greatly appreciated. In the meantime, all I'm going to ask you to do is be strong, act confident, and stay positive. I'm Jason Lavoy, a.k.a. The Divorce Resource Guy, and I'll be seeing you real soon. Mm-hmm.